Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, an opportunity for me to ramble about whiskey or something for a few minutes. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Uh, hopefully you can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll get that taken care of. You can also generally find the video versions of these podcasts on YouTube. You can also find all of my links at Instagram uh, at embellishpod or Twitter with the exact same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today we're going to have uh, a fantastic guest on. I'm going to have Jackie Zykan join me. Uh, she currently is working with Hidden Barn. Um, if you've been around the whiskey industry for more than 10 minutes, you probably know exactly who she is. And um, We're not going to spend very much time talking about whiskey today. We're going to talk about a handful of other things that I think are pretty important as well. So join me in, in welcoming her, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. All right. Uh, this afternoon, I have Jackie joining me. I'm going to give her an opportunity to introduce herself to the you know seven or eight people that listen to this. Um, probably already know who you are, but kind of give us the rundown on who Jackie is, and I'll start with uh, a really off-the-wall question. Okay. Well, hello, everybody. Um, I'm Jackie Zykin. I'm one of the partners of Hidden Barn Whiskey, and um, I'm, I'm excited to be here. The, the, the content that we're going to talk about today is stuff that I really enjoy having space to get into. So I, I am just honored to have the opportunity. And now I'm a little nervous about what this first question is, but that's <laughs> we're going to get into it. No, it's not too bad. Um, and I really appreciate you hopping on. I, I try to make these not like everything else. I mean, why would I start a podcast if I want to talk about what everybody else is talking about? And so um, this is more of maybe a mental exercise. Um, and, and it does impact maybe what you do. But um, let's, let's just say I were to put a button in front of you. And if you press the button, all of social media is immediately and irreparably broken. Would you press the button? Broken is in like it's gone, like it no longer exists. It's yes. just social vaporized. media is gone. Um, I don't know. I don't necessarily have a need to get rid of it or to mm -hmm. keep it. It's just one of those things that's there and you engage with as is. But mm -hmm. do I think that getting rid of it is going to somehow like you know, boost the world into some sort of like positive evolution. No keeping it or, or missing anything by having it. No, I think that there's some really great positives and some really intense negatives to it. And I don't want to be the one who's responsible for making that decision. How about that? So I'm not pressing the button. I understand that completely. And, and you know, I've, I've had a varied number of, I haven't asked this on a podcast. This is a thing that I ask of several employees and we, I try to ask, you know, just kind of random questions to get their, brain moving in a different direction. We had a really, really spirited discussion about this particular one because it really is about whether um, social media and things like that are a net gain or a net loss on society. Are they, you know, healthy for us? Is our brain developed appropriately enough to be able to handle this degree of communication? Right. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I read an article and a guy was talking about, you know, I don't know if you do this, maybe you don't, but you get on a phone call with somebody, all of a sudden you feel like you just need to walk everywhere. Um, and you know, hmm. just end up just kind of like pacing around while you're trying to talk to somebody on the phone. Yeah. It's your, your brain's trying to find the person you're talking to because it's used to seeing them with your eyes. And when you don't see them, your brain doesn't know how to process it. It's like a subliminal response, um, or subconscious, subconscious response. I don't know if that's true or not, but like social media is in the same vein where maybe our brains aren't developed enough to handle the responsibility of it. But, um, a lot of what you do uh, is, is on social media and it's kind of for the world to see. And, um, the, the main reason I reached out to you and I appreciate you for, for hopping on, um, was you, you had this post around Derby day. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it was, it was about mental health and it was about kind of finding your right place. And, um, if you would just kind of describe that moment, you know, like what put you in a position where you felt like you needed to post that. Cause I don't think enough people are, I think it was like a really, really impactful and powerful thing um, that you did, but just kind of the context of it. Sure. So, I mean, I feel like I'm a little bit more transparent than most when it comes to things like that. Um, I don't want to use the word shameless because I don't think that's necessarily what I am by any means. It's just that I'm comfortable in my stance on things. And I know that there have been plenty of moments in my life wherein seeing somebody else be comfortable enough to be publicly open about certain things has given me sort of permission to feel and do certain things. And so, you know, we always have a choice every day with everything that we do and whether we're going to, you know, focus on the negative or focus on the positive. And this isn't about like 
bypassing or toxic positivity by any means. But in any given situation, if you give yourself a moment, you can make a choice of how you receive that and act upon it. And so the Derby thing was interesting. So I left uh, Brown Foreman a year ago now, I guess it has been in a couple of days, it'll be a one year anniversary of not being with that company anymore. And I had an amazing tenure there. I have no regrets of being there. Um, but Derby was sort of this interesting closure point for me because for the past seven years, I have had to be at the track for weeks on end. And, you know, people are like, oh, you get to go to Derby. And it's like, yes, that's great. But also what you don't see is that I also have to get up at two in the morning and then be camera ready and have everything together. I have kits packed for every single day of like 30 different cocktails that have to be made. In the back of your mind, you're like, make sure the mint doesn't wilt, make sure the ice doesn't melt, make sure this doesn't happen, make sure all of the bottles are smudge free, like every little detail. And there's so much stress around that. And then you go to the track and you start at 4 a.m. doing interviews and being smiley and being on and giving your best to promote a product. and it's all fun and it's beautiful and it's great. And you get to see the sunrise and the horses are running, but you do that for eight days in a row. And then you are this shriveled prune of a human. You haven't eaten. You've been at the track for 18 hours a day. You're on no sleep, but you still got to look like you had a full night's sleep and you still got to act like you did. Plus you're being handed booze left, right, and wherever. And granted, you can always say no, but Sometimes people, it's just not as easy of a decision to say no in certain situations. Um, when you're in the alcohol industry, like, why aren't you drinking your own brand? Like, people are going to kind of have questions. Um, but you get to Derby Day, and it's just like, I can't wait for this race to be over. And that is not, to me, that's not how I want to go forth and experience these moments in life. But, like, the fact of the matter is, is, like, you're worn out. And... It's not all glamorous and like fun, fun, fun. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And there's a lot of work that goes into this industry in general. And so I try to be transparent about that. Not in a woe is me, pity me, blah, blah, blah. It's not about that. I can handle my own crap, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's more so of like, look, I'm a human and you're all humans. Like, let's all just please conduct ourselves as humans and stop feeling like we have to wear this facade or be stronger than that or not, not have any complaints or issues or everything, just let it be what it is. And so all of these posts that I do are more so encouraging people to be comfortable just being human about everything because that's how we connect with each other. It's not by having a, a Pinterest curated life that you put out there. It's, it needs to be real. Um, so that post was very much, I woke up that day and realized like, oh yeah, this is the first derby that I haven't had to work at all in any capacity. So this is my new chap. This is kind of like the bookend. I had already been gone for months from that job, but like, this was the moment that it hit me of like, oh yeah, I made some really hard decisions and this is where I'm at. And it feels really, really good. And this is awesome. And mm -hmm. I, you know, grateful for the past experiences always, but it's okay to make hard decisions and scary choices and things that seem very risky when you're following what is right for you individually, right? Not what looks right for everybody else out there. So that's kind of where that came from. I don't, I just went on a tangent. I do that. No, no, no. That, no, no that, 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 this is, this is, this is what this is for, right? That, that that's, that's exactly what I, what I hope. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want you to share anything you don't want to share, but obviously, you know, this is more of a conversation and that's what I wanted this to be a little bit more unique. And if you see me keep looking down, I'm not being rude. I keep a no, you're notepad fine. here and I'm taking okay. notes and having other questions that develop, you know, but I know sometimes it's like, oh, is this asshole playing with his phone no. or like, what's he doing no. here? No. Um, you, you mentioned a, a word earlier. You said, you know, you don't want it to feel like you're, you're shameless. And, and this is a thing I've tried to instill in my daughters is. You know, I'm trying to put them in a position where they feel unfuck withable as they get older, right? Is that it's not that you're not aware of it. It's just that you're not necessarily willing to let someone kind of push in on your life and make you feel a certain way uh, unless you're okay with that, right? Um, you don't have to do that. And social media becomes this place. And this is kind of the beginning of that question earlier. 
where we have these vignettes of life, right? Where people mm -hmm. are carefully curating what they are. And, and the reason why I thought what you posted was, was so, so very important is that there's not a ton of that reality happening, at least mm -hmm. not within um, the, the greater whiskey social media sphere, right? Um, there's a whole lot of, you know, let's, let's have a good time. Let's make sure we all look happy, you know, being on all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's not a ton of, of, of real, at least I'm not, not in, in what I see, you know, the algorithm doesn't kind of um, send that in my direction. Um, and, and it has to be tough, right. In your position, because you're in the spotlight hundred percent. Like that's what your job is, is being on all of the time. Um, what kind of toll, like you've had maybe sometime, I mean, you're still the face of this other thing that's happening with, with Hidden Barn, um, but it feels like you've maybe taken control of your narrative a little bit more um, in the last year than the time frame before that. But what is this like, like you know, living, having to live like that, where if you're drinking the wrong brand, somebody's going to question you. If you're not smiling all the time, like how, how, how does that impact you? So I think the industry and the positions that I've had in it are definitely susceptible to those environments wherein there is that being on and that pressure and et cetera. But I, I don't think it's exclusive to the alcohol industry by any means. Um, I'm not one that likes to go down this like gender inequality path by any means, because I don't, I, I don't wake up every day and I'm like, I'm a woman and I'm going to do the woman thing and uh, prove you wrong. Like there's no like anger or spite or like rebellion behind it. It's just like, I happen to wake up and I just do what I do as a person. And then here we are. Um, but I do think that women more so than men are, have been conditioned to have to show up in a certain way more so and be more polished. And there's a lot less margin of error. And like, if I'm giving a tasting and I misspeak, one little thing, whether it's the entry proof of something or the mash bill of something in that moment, I will lose significantly more credibility than somebody else. Even if I catch myself and flip it around, it doesn't matter. So there is an immense amount of pressure to always have the right answer. I'm not a person that's going to make something up just to make it sound like I have an answer. I will be the first to say, you know what? I don't know, but let's dig into it and we'll figure it out later or I'll get back to you on that. But just saying, like, when you are expected to be the expert on certain category knowledge, you can't, you cannot screw up. And it does, it's not even like, oh, these people think I'm a dumbass. It compromises a brand and something so much bigger than you. So mm -hmm. there is so much pressure with that. So much pressure with that. Um, and it's always funny to me because, like, you know, especially in my past role, you go one day and you've got to do like a close up photo shoot of making a cocktail. So your nails have to be perfect. But then that afternoon I have to go to the warehouse and drill into barrels. And if mm -hmm. I chip something, it's like shut down the world. And now I got to go fix my hands or I'm going to get an angry email about like, well, well, her nail polish was chipped tomorrow. And it's like, these are tiny little, it, this is first world problems as we call it. Right. But these are still things that like are constantly white noise stress in the back of your mind. Um, Make sure that your makeup is right. Make sure that your hair looks right. Make sure that you're, you don't have cleavage showing. Make sure this, make sure that. Like, it's just all these weird little nitpicky things that just, they eat away at you over time. And it's, it's a lot. Um, I feel like I got away from the original question of this though, because I just started. No, no, no. That, that, was, that, was, that was the question. It was like, you know, how, how does this impact you? And it's a lot and, it, and it's a heavy thing. And, you know, I, I don't think that there, there are, there have been people in the industry that have tried to focus on, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's female, this female, that. And I really like, I hate the fact that we have to, but we do have to, like I, I say, we as as the the privileged class of this conversation, right? Because obviously the whiskey industry looks a lot like a lot more like me than you most of the time, because it's very much an old white man thing. Um, that's the state of it. But we have to kind of you know foist upon you this situation where you're, you're a female, and now everybody's like point out the fact that she is a female, not the fact that your qualifications are the most important thing, and those are what got you where you were, right? It wasn't this other thing. But we also have to talk about it because we haven't, you know, there has been kind of glass ceilings in the past and there's all these sort of things that happen. And I, I was at a, a tasting that was being hosted by, by Peggy No, and I watched another guy try to explain to her about tasting. And I'm like, I don't feel like they would have done the same thing had it been 
um, some other guy. And my immediate reaction is like, there's no one in this room that should tell her anything. Like, I know these people that are sitting around me. We don't have that. And so it really, it does exist, right? Like it's, it's a real problem and it's a real thing. Um, but you have all these kind of these, these pressures that push in on you from all of these different things. Um, how do you find balance for yourself, like mentally and emotionally? Like what are the, what are the tricks? What are the things that you do for yourself? I don't want to say tricks because that kind of seems reductive, but. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Um, I don't know. I think that's all, it's, it's all pressure and it's all a stress, but um, there's other things in life that are also stress and pressure. I mean, shit comes from every direction, right? So I kind of default to the same methods every single time, no matter what it is. Um, one of the things about the booze industry that's really interesting is that you're the one person in the room who is expected to always have a drink in hand, but you're never allowed to get drunk. And so with that comes having to eat constantly, right? In order to have a base, kind of an empty stomach, but then you can't gain weight because you don't want people to like see that. And then you're going to have to be on camera and do all this other crap. And so it's just this weird like cycle. Um, I'm a person that has, I'm great in a, in a crowd and I'm a great public speaker, but I do have a very short tolerance of social interaction. I actually like have to recluse quite a bit in order to just like reclaim my own energy from like just interacting with people. Um, so I hide in the woods as I call it. I don't really, it's not hiding in the woods. Like, let's be honest. I'm not like trying to not be found, but I do, I do need time outside. I need time to be barefoot. Like half the time I give a presentation, I'm barefoot and people are like something's wrong with this girl. But like, it's just, it's a weird little thing that I do to just feel a sense of connection outside of just the bombardment of other people's energy. Um, but then you get to this point where you're like, you travel in any industry where you have to travel for work, your sleep schedule is off. You're eating restaurant food constantly that it's it, it gets out of whack really quick. And so anymore, I have had to come to the point of standing up for my own health and be like, if I need time alone or away, I'm going to take it and I'm not going to feel bad about it. If I need to pack my own food to go on work trips in like a lunchbox, like that's what I will do. Or I will go to the grocery store and make sure I have time in my schedule to do that instead of eating at a restaurant all the time. Um, go easy on the drinks, drink a ton of water. You know, there's a lot of supplements I take to counteract the fact that I probably drink more than the average bear. Um, and it's, you just find, you find the ways, but for me, that's kind of what works. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I won't consider myself an introvert by any means, but I am a person that does get drained really quickly by, you know, crowds of people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's mentally taxing and your brain is trying to keep up with three different conversations at one time. And um, especially in your position, everyone's looking at you, right? They're, they're looking directly at you, whereas the rest of us, um, you know, I, I think about this. Like you, I, I was at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival last year. Uh, you know, I, I go up and, you know, I, I get a pour from you guys at your table, but you have to have that same interaction that you have with me thousands of times in a day, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and you have to smile the entire time you have to seem happy the entire time and it always feels really it, it feels weird from my position i'm like all right i i'm gonna try to make this as quick as possible in the hopes that maybe you get a third you know three and a half second respite because you're not trying to, to fake a conversation and, and it's i don't think that it comes across as fake right i think you're you're being a genuine human being but that pulls from you all day long so it makes sense to sort of try to find your fortress of solitude or um, you know, rewilding yourself. I, I like the the grounding. And I think the, the, the effective idea of reclaiming your energy and grounding yourself. Um, but that's, you, you touched on this a little bit. You, you drink more than the average person. And I, I catch myself thinking about the fact that effectively what we're drinking is poison. Like we're drinking small dose, doses of poison uh, over time. Do you ever, does that ever like conflict with the other part of you that wants that it is incredibly healthy? Like, like how, how, how do you answer that? Absolutely. So when I'm not working, I usually don't drink at all because, right. Um, I definitely would say that in the past year in this new project, it's substantially less because we don't have a whole portfolio of like vodka and tequila and wine. And like, there's no excuse to not be drinking something that's one of your brands. Right. So now it's like, we've got this whiskey and we don't have a lot of it. So I almost don't even feel bad if I don't drink it because I'm saving it for everybody else, right. which is good. But 
you have when you work in the alcohol industry, you have switched over your relationship with consumable alcohol from being recreational to being professional. And when that happens, like you're you just have a completely different relationship with it. And um, it's not to say, trust me, I have my my evenings. I have my moments where, you know, we have a good time. But um, you just have to be so mindful of it because the long term effects of that when I say that type of consumption, like, I don't know if this is something I, I can hear like a ghost of a PR manager in my mind being like, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. But I'll <laughs> say it. I, when you are dosing yourself with booze all day long, and it is not uncommon for you to go and do a visit to a market and hit eight or nine different accounts and have eight or nine cocktails in that time frame, And that could be six hours. It could be, 10 hours doesn't matter, but that constant supply of alcohol is going to wreak havoc on your body and have very significant long-term effects. Um, you know, you, you end up going to the doctor's office and you fill out that form where it's like, how many drinks would you say you have a week? And you're not even on the options and you're like, that right. there's a problem here, right? Mm -hmm. But you're not having that much because you need it. You're not hiding it in a coffee mug in the morning. Like, yeah. You just, you can't offend somebody because they came up with this cocktail in your honor and like, you're not even going to drink it or how dare you not drink your own stuff or, you know, it, it's interesting, but you, you have to find a way to balance it. And I, I am hyper vigilant about it. I get blood work done every six months just to make sure that everything is fine. Um, and I know not everybody is that way. And you know what? I also know a hell of a lot of people in this industry who've been in it for a long time and, it will take its toll on you. It will. It absolutely will. I mean, it, it has to. I mean, that's that's just yeah. the, the human body, um, you know. And societally, we drank a whole lot more alcohol in the colonial times than we do now. And even compared to your consumption, you know, we're talking, you know, little kids were drinking you know, hard cider as a part of their just normal day to day function. But that also was a period of time where you know life expectancies were in the 60s. Um, and so, you know, like there's there's a direct correlation that can be made between um, the two things. But so what is what is your you get your 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 blood drawn? Like what, what are you doing? Do you have, you know, homeopathy? Do you have you know, herbal remedies? Do you have supplements? Like what do you do to try to keep yourself as healthy as possible while, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe that's what those forms need at the doctor's office, like the recreational drinks versus the professional drinks. Like I have this many professional drinks and these are the recreational ones. Um, I mean, at least in Kentucky, can we update right. these medical history forms so that that is a thing? It on would there. make a lot of sense because there's a lot of people here. Um, so I'm really, I am, I will be the first to admit, I'm so bad about drinking water. Like growing up, we didn't drink water. We always had something with a flavor to it. And so water is, I have to force myself to drink water. It's so silly, right? You're an adult, Jackie. Like, what do you mean? You don't just drink water. Like you're a living being. Everything drinks water. Um, so I have to force myself on that one. I do take a lot of supplements, but I do want to, want to preface this with not everybody's body right. reacts the same way. So if I take it, whatever, that's cool. Don't go out and buy a list of things and start taking them. Always talk to your doctor first. Um, mm -hmm. If you really want to go the natural route, like get in deep with an herbalist because they will understand that side of things even more so. Uh, my physician is like middle of, he's an MD, but he is also very, very into more natural things. And so he's a really good fit for me. But uh, Dandelion is going to be a fantastic option. Nettle is going to be a great option, but it can kind of screw with your hormones. So just be heads up on that. Um, anything that's detoxifying, really. And even if it's just adding lemon into your water and calling it a day. And I'm not talking about the plastic lemon that you get at the grocery store. You squeeze it mm -hmm. out. I'm talking about throw a slice of lemon in there and actually get a real lemon going in your life. You mm -hmm. deserve real lemons. Um, but other than that, like, uh, I don't know eat at home as much as you can. Like I love going out to restaurants. I do, but there's so much in commercially prepared food that is also going to wreak havoc on your system and whatever. You don't have to be in the gym every day. You don't have to do anything. Like I, I go to yoga like five times a week and that's why that's all I do. And I walk and that's what I do. And that works for me, but you have to find something that works for you and everybody is different. Um, but there are quite a few supplements out there that will support your liver specifically. 
and support the detoxification system. So um, lean into that. If you're a person that drinks a lot and you don't have any option to not drink a lot, like realize like you can balance it out. My last blood work panel, I have the liver of a 16 year old that hasn't even discovered Boone's farm yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's coming from somebody who literally like has whiskey every single day in a lot right. of quantities. So it, it can be balanced, um, but you just have to dedicate yourself and want to do it and find what works for you. You can't just say, I just do yoga because I've done yoga a few times and that's not, that's not, it's like saying, I just walk, right? I just walk is far different than saying, I just do yoga. <laughs> I know, but like I was coming from a point of like, I was like in yeah. spin class and I was going mm -hmm. to bar class and I was also going hiking multiple times a week and I'm like climbing up 14ers and then blah, blah. Right. So for me, I'm like, yeah. I just do yoga and I feel like I'm missing something, but I'm not, I don't know. Um, yeah. No, it, 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 yoga, yoga can destroy you if you're a sedentary person. You know, if you start <laughs> from a from a place of unhealth, uh, it is not a great place to be. You know, I, I know people that you know, they play tennis five times a week and they're you know as as active as they possibly want to be, and they go do one you know one round of yoga and they're like I I can't walk for a week. You know? <laughs> it, it, things bend ways that they shouldn't bend ever. Um, yeah, so anyways, you can't just say just do yoga. Um, do, do you want to talk about your, your, your work with Hidden Barn at all? Sure. Sure. Okay. Let's, let's, let's talk about Hidden Barn. Um, and so this is a project product. I don't really know how you want to call it. I, I work in digital product management and so everything's a product, but sometimes it's a project. Uh, doesn't matter. So you've got Hidden Barn kind of give us the, you know, the 30 second to a minute and a half version of, of what you guys have going on. Yep. So there's four partners, myself, Nate, Matt, and Royce. Um, we're split 50-50 between Colorado and Kentucky. And Hidden Barn is a transparent sourcing brand wherein we go into these smaller producers and find amazing stuff. And they have all the same values that we have, which is they want to be transparent about their processes. They have quality first, no matter what. They're humble and they're all about just having a connection with people, not so much, I'm, bil I'm building this so I can sell it or, you know, not saying there's anything wrong with that. Just saying like yeah. there's there's a little bit more substance to all the folks we're working with. So we go in and we batch things together. Um, I'll take whatever's available. That's what I have to choose from and put together batches that aren't consistent in flavor profile, but that are consistent in balance and structure. And so each release of Hidden Barn is a little bit different and they're all 22 barrels or less per batch. So it's kind of small, but we've been going since July and um it feels like it's been so much longer than it has, but we've accomplished mm -hmm. a lot more than we thought we would by now. And we're just opening up distribution little by little, state by state. And um, yeah, hiddenbarnwhiskey.com will show you all the things. And hopefully it's somewhere that you can find it if you want to try it. Yeah. And the, and the build to sell versus build to sustain. And I don't, I don't think that anybody is going to take what you're saying as an insult. Uh, because there are, I mean, there are brands that that's exactly what they're doing and that's okay. That's a business model. Yeah. It's, a, it's a thing that they want to do. Um, and, you know, they may do it three or four times and then never have to work a, a day in their life ever again. Or, you know, you may build something to sustain and eventually somebody comes along and offers you a dollar amount that you can't refuse because there is a number. Everybody's got a number. You know? Everyone has a number. If, if Sazerac shows up and says, we'll give you half a billion dollars for your brand. If you say no, I think you may be a little bit crazy. Um, you have a billion, yeah. a billion. Um, I mean, and I see what you're saying. There is no right or wrong right. to the strategy behind it. I don't mean for it to sound like, oh, only the good people are people that want to like build yeah. a legacy for generations to come. It's not about that. It's just that I have found in my experience, a lot of the people who are prioritizing the dollar um, are willing to compromise certain yep. points of the production process to support that. And so they, it's not always the case, but it has been the case frequently enough to notice a pattern. Yeah, I mean, it, if a big conglomerate wants to buy you, you have to build your brand with scalability in mind, and that means you're gonna make concessions in places. That's yeah, you know, that's, that's sort of what it is. But um, you know, and 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 I can, in my simple ways, you know, how I sort of gauge the the, the success or interest on any given brand, um, at least uh, Kentucky brands, is really easy to do uh, at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. Look at the line. Um, look at the line for the tent. Do they burn through all their product? And I, and I saw a pretty significant line um, at y'all's tent, uh, one at Penelope, 
and you know you can kind of draw some parallels there you know there's there's significant sex success in both places you're both sourcing they're they're doing their thing you guys are doing yours um you know what what does hidden barn look like in five years like you know you i assume you're thinking that far out maybe you're not maybe it's three years maybe it's a you know, whatever um, from a, from a vision perspective not necessarily the exact oh if it's not this somebody's gonna be like oh you said you're gonna do these things yeah so uh, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just like the most obvious that I know that we've got a lot of new make that we've purchased. As we go along, we do purchase and blend things that are fully mature, but you have to plan accordingly. Yeah. So you always sidekick it with a barrel of new make every time, right? Um, if not more than that. So uh, that stuff will be coming to fruition in about five years, which is cool. Um, we are about to launch a new sort of tangent um, of the of the whiskey that I can't really talk about, but maybe we'll have another conversation and then we'll talk about that, right? But there's more things coming. I think that we are all just, we're doing a thousand jobs a person, right? Because there's only four of us and it's it's busy, but it's not stressful. It's just busy. There's a big difference there. Um, but so I am a part owner of Hidden Barn, but I also am on a consulting contract with Hidden Barn. Uh, because equity doesn't pay your mortgage. Let's all learn that really quick. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know. I don't know in two years when that contract runs out, like will Hidden Barn be at a place that's more automated where I won't have to have as much involvement? Like, will I renew that? Will I not? I take on other consulting projects all the time. It's just that there's two types of projects. There's one where I'm publicly announced as being involved in it. And there's ones where I get to just go in and get my job done and like be left mm -hmm. alone and not have to be a show pony. Right. And there's a lot of like really beautiful products on the market that I'm really proud to have put together, but nobody knows I had anything to do with them. That, <laughs> that's gotta be the difficult side. That, right? You know, like I know what I do and I know what I do well, and I know how I can get better and I know how to get there. And I thoroughly enjoyed the puzzle piecing of putting batches together and creating flavor profiles or whatever the request is for that particular project. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoyed that without this, like, look at me, look what I've done. Look at all my accolades. Look at my resume. Like it, it's not about that, which I think a lot of people, when they see your face shoved in public eye so much, they're like, Oh, you must be so full of your seeds. What an ego on you. And it's like, no, I'd rather not. Be right. It's a necessary evil to the industry that you're working yeah. in at this point. Um, it, it's it's not something. It's not something that anybody necessarily wants. Or there's probably some people that are absolutely that's what they're after. Uh, yeah, those and that's usually, cool. Like you know, yeah. different people feed the beast differently, and that's fine with me. But like, it it's not how I want to live my life when I constantly go to the store and I'm like, if my kid has a tantrum, I'm like, Oh shit, people are going to be like Jackie from so-and-so and what, and what doesn't know how to be a parent. Like right, yeah, it. if you're, Leave you're it alone. walking through the uh, Louisville airport and you're standing right next to a picture of your own face. Right. <sighs> yeah. That's still there. It's still there. <laughs> you know, do you like, you know, do you, do you get like a name and image likeness or that? Like, you, I feel like that, you know, for every visitor, they should pay you like, you know, you know, 30 cents or something. No, like that. no. Um, uh, it's, it's funny. That picture was taken before I was a Brown Foreman employee. Um, yeah. It's actually 10 years old. And it was a side gig I picked up through Brown Foreman, uh, a photo shoot that they wanted to have because they wanted more of a modern content shoot. They wanted tattoos and they wanted female and they wanted this and they wanted that. And so one of the people in the design department at Brown Foreman is on the board for the airport redesign. So that's not a Brown Foreman paid advertisement placement. Mm -hmm. It's literally the Louisville airport was like, we need something more modern. So what do you got? And they were like, hey, can we use this picture? I'm like, oh, you own the picture. I don't know. Do whatever you want with it. Um, <laughs> and so there it is. But no, it, uh, I guess I yeah, signed it was, away my rights to that picture a decade ago. <laughs> I was going to say, if it, if it was a, if it was marketing material and it was still up after 10 years, there's somebody that is not doing their job at Brown Foreman. Um, <laughs> but if it belongs to the airport, that's a completely different conversation at that point. Um, you know, and, and so they, they picked you because you, you were a female and you had tattoos, right? So that's, that's, that's maybe an avenue. Like, do, do you feel tattoos are gaining far more uh, recognition and acceptance in every industry period across the board 
but do you still feel, you know, whenever you walk into a room full of uh, whiskey people, the consumers and the and the uh, social media influencers, all those people, they're likely to be okay with it. But the people that are in management, maybe not as much. Do you feel like that that's true or am I, am I making that up in my head? Um, no, you're not making this up at all. This is a real thing. Yeah. Like this is a real part of people deciding where they're going to put things on their body or not um, mm -hmm. based on what they're going to have to wear to work. And can they cover it up and all, you know what I mean? You have the like the corporate tattoo suit, which yeah. ends at the wrist and just goes up, you know, and it's never really exposed. Um, and there was a long period of time when I was, you know, way back in the day. So we're talking 20 years ago that I got my first tattoo and I was very careful about the placement of them because 20 years ago, it was very much a thing of like, you're not going to get a job if you've got a tattoo showing, mm -hmm. like period, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. And then I slowly but surely started like creeping them out into like more obvious places. And now I forget that I even have them because I see them so much. It's just normalized to me. Yep. So I don't ever think twice about the fact that someone's seeing it and thinking anything of it. Um, I like to think that I did just fine, you know, career wise with them. So whatever. But right. it's still a thing in certain certain regions and with certain demographics of consumers probably, but uh, I got enough to worry about. I can't worry about whether or not they're <laughs> going to be like, Hmm, this girl must be in a biker gang or something. Like, I don't know. Like, right. Yeah. Date, right. That's, I mean, that it's, there is a definite segment and that segment slowly died off, you know, on their <laughs> own that, that follows that. But um, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a thing that I'm glad to see. I've got a friend that that lives um, north of Lexington. He's a criminal defense attorney in Lexington, and he's got like a full sleep. But it is absolutely the you know it'll be covered up whenever he goes into court because of the way um, that he that he made his choices. Because there is probably still some judge somewhere that's going to be like, "Nah, you 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 are the criminal because you have this, that, or the other." Right. How do you pronounce your fragrance brand? Odoo Oak. So it's Odoo like okay. Ode Parfum, yep. but it's yep. Odoo Oak instead because it's- I, I wanted to make sure, but I, I have- Yeah, no, I appreciate pretty, that. Pretty, pretty significant uh, Western Kentucky accent, so I want to make sure I'm <laughs> Odoo Oak. Um, so okay. so let, let's talk about Odoo, Odoo Oak. Yeah, so I started studying perfumery as a way to increase my sensory bank for descriptive analysis with whiskey. And it really triggered a lot of- um, curiosities in my mind of like, okay, the, the process of building perfume is very technical and very methodical. And I think sometimes when it comes to distilled spirits, when you're combining things or batching things, sometimes it's just sort of, well, this is what we have. So we're going to dump it all together and hope for the best. And some people, especially with old world whiskey are a little bit more strategic about it, but everyone's process is different. You can't necessarily be like, I'm going to teach you how to blend whiskey. Like, because everyone's palate is different. Everyone's mind is different. Um, there's certain things you can say, like, this is something I've learned does not work. So don't try this. Like, but I can't give you my exact process in a way that you can replicate because you're not me. Um, so I found it quite interesting the way that perfumes are built from a molecular weight, uh, perspective more so than anything in the order of addition and the curing process that has to happen, everything else. Um, but perfume in general is fragrance oil, whether it be natural, synthetic, doesn't matter combined with completely neutralized alcohol, perfumer's alcohol, if you want to call it that, so that only the fragrance oils shine through because they're expensive and they're delicate and you want to only smell those. Well, but I love the aromatics of whiskey so much. And I always smell like whiskey anyways, because I've been pulling samples and I, you know, show up to pick my kid up from school and they're like, Bennett's mom, uh, you know, she really had an afternoon again, didn't she? Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, 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 I swear. It's just on my clothes. I swear, officer, like I, whatever, you know. Right. Um, but it's it's funny to me. So I always had the way that I get inspired is through experiences and capturing different elements of those experiences, whether flavor or scent and putting them together. This is how I always was inspired for cocktails. Like, let me just capture this person in the form of something that you can taste. Right. Um, different elements of places and what have you. So with Odoo Oak, I actually take these experiences that I've had good, bad, ugly, whatever. Um, when I had a glass of whiskey in hand and capture all the different elements of it, whether it's the smell of the person I was with, or I was smoking a cigarette or the dessert that I had, or the place that we were in, or the, the tree that was blooming, all of those things, literally every sensory element of that 
is put into a balanced and structured fragrance blend. And then that combined with whiskey and sometimes some perfumers alcohol just to bring the proof up to where they can actually like all get along together. Um, so they all do smell like whiskey because they're made out of whiskey, but they're all inspired by moments that I have chosen to capture in scent form. It has been an amazing thing that I started as a way to like what I consider pay off my karmic debt for peddling poison that people are consuming, right? I'm like, how can I also be engaged in my love of whiskey and everything about it and the process of it, but offer it up to the world to experience in a way that they're not consuming it. And so that is where Odoo came from. I started it one and three quarters of a year ago. I went through a packaging change. I mean, I'm at the point now with it where like, I'm happy to like work in the whiskey industry still and do the things that I do and do well. But eventually, like, this is where I'm heading. This is my calling. This is what I love. And this is what I'll ultimately just end up doing exclusively. Um, and that's awesome. I used to order, like, glass by the dozens, you know, and pedal out a couple of bottles at a time. And now I've got, like, pallets of shit showing up to my house. And I'm like, how did this happen? But it's fun. And it's human. And it's real. And it's authentic. And there's a lot of work behind it. Every single bottle has been filled by me. Every drop of it has been made by me. Every design choice has been done by me. All the website, all the social media, all the everything, 100%. I am a one woman shit show. And that's my side job, right? Like, I don't know where I've found extra hours in the week, but I have magically found this like treasure trove of extra time to work. Um, but I think part of it also just comes down to when you thoroughly enjoy something so much and it brings your heart so much peace, you just do it and you don't feel like it's work. Like, oh, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Like that silly mm -hmm. saying, it's actually like do what you love and you will work every minute of your life because you don't identify it as work and it doesn't right. drain you that way. Um, it's just joy that you're just sharing it with the world. And so, yeah. Um, Odoo Oak, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like a silly thing. Like what a hysterical thing to do, but it's working and I love yeah. it. I, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that, it, that it's silly. I mean, um, you, you, you're pulling from the same things, at least from my perspective, you know, and I, and I think, I think a lot about food. Like I really, really like food a lot, uh, like good food. I mean, in some bad food too. But, you know, in, in, you know, in the culinary industry, you, know, you eat with your eyes first, your nose second, and your mouth is the last thing. Like that is the very last thing. And so um, when you have attractive pack packaging and then you come in with these smells, smell, at least to me, smell is far more reminiscent than any other sense that you have, right? Because mm -hmm. um, for some reason, it just feels like scents linger in your memory far, far longer. Um, than a, than a, than an image does, or even than, you know, many tastes do and, and tastes change over time, but it, a smell just sort of cements itself. And so it makes sense, or at least to me, it makes sense that, um, if you have a passion for an industry where you're spending a lot of time with your nose in a glass, right. You're already attuned to this, to this, to the smelling portion of it. Now mm -hmm. it's just saying, Hey, I can turn this into something else. Right. And, and yeah. Like it, it makes complete sense. And I, I can only imagine, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I can only imagine it's going to also pay dividends for blending as well, right? Like as you move into blending a whiskey, you're doing the same thing when you're trying to put all your scents together, you're trying to put flavors together and scents as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I obviously have had more years of experience with a actual like tasting and finding balance through mouthfeel and all the textures and everything else going on there and finishes and all this other crap right and so you get sort of automated in a way where you can go through more barrels more quickly and more samples and like assess things like just a little bit more readily mm -hmm. than being there and being like waxing poetic in your mind about it and forcing myself to not forcing but when i'm dealing with the perfume line or i call it a fragrance line because perfume everyone's like oh so it's for women it's like no cologne we associate cologne as being for men but cologne's mm. actually a category of fragrance that has like right. no oil in it at all and it's super light so like let's just let's all learn something today right. that like cologne is not a term for masculinity but that's what the marketing world has now done to you um but anyways 
how does one discern balance in a profile when you can't taste it when i've been so trained to taste for balance right mm -hmm. so now i have to be forced into this like much more fine-tuned zone of literally it's the weirdest shit in the entire world you might think i'm full of it and that's okay maybe i am i don't know but i can feel in different parts of my nasal cavity and in the back like you're like way back of your throat when you're smelling things on where things sit and like it can smell balanced. You don't have to taste it, but there is a balance to smell and there's a balance to structuring a fragrance because it's going to, um, the different compounds are volatile at different points. And some of them are gonna last a little longer. Some of them are a little bit lighter and how are they gonna change once they hold hands together and all of that. You're exactly right. Now that has made me expedite my whiskey sensory analysis so much faster because I have trained my note. I'm like snapping and like people can't see me snapping, but like I'm snapping here. You can hear it. Mm -hmm. Like it's just like boom, 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 because I've recognized how different compounds react with me. And then I know where that's going to go and what it's going to do. And I can just go dirt, 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 bleed, or like breeze right through it. Um, and like I said, like, oh, sure. Yeah. Jackie, teach me how to blend whiskey. Like, okay, crawl up my nose and like, let's get going. Like, I don't really know how to explain my process other than I can feel it in my body. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know, man. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I, th I think it makes sense. Right. And so whenever you're describing how you smell different things in different places, um, my, my first thought goes to something like wasabi, right? Where it mm -hmm. is the thing that hits way back in the back yes. versus like a salt or a sugar is, is going to feel more upfront, at least to me, or, you know, maybe, you know, high proof alcohol, you stick your nose in a high proof alcohol, it's going to hit a little further back. I, I think I get that it's yeah. to whatever degree that my, uh, my layman, layman's brain can kind of no, understand no, no, no. that, but it, it makes sense. It makes you complete sense. some credit. You're probably leaps and bounds above like this average person, right. That we spoke of earlier. But so if you had a glass of whiskey and you smelled it and it smelled like uh, butterscotch, right? And you're like, oh, okay, it's going to taste like butterscotch because it smells like butterscotch. And your brain like expects that. And you take a sip and it literally tastes like nothing. And then all of a sudden it's just like black pepper and then it disappears. There's gaps in the process, right? And you're tasting gaps in it. It should be nice on the front, the middle and the end and linger, but not be hot, not chemical burn, not alcohol burn. Um, the exact same thing happens with fragrance, but I go through that whole thing and I can literally smell and feel gaps in the blend and what molecular weight compound is going to fit in there to bridge it all together. So this is really, it's, this is like the most in-depth I've ever gone talking about this. So thank you for even giving me the space to do that because I think people see it and they're like, oh, Jackie's making like body spray now. And she's like starting an Etsy shop or some shit. She's uh -huh. making candles. And it's like, no, no, no. Like this is a whole thing. Um, I am a complete nerd, but I love mm -hmm. it. And it's well, I mean, hard. When, you, when you throw the term molecular weight around, then, then you're, <laughs> you're, you're stepping out of uh, Etsy ground and into, I have my own website and my own shipping methodologies. You know, that's, they're, they're different yeah. people. You're not, you're not knitting a, um, a koozie or anything like that. <laughs> which, which is still a very wonderful art form and all the koozie knitters out there in the world, like Godspeed you. I hope you all just kill it with yeah. the knitting koozies. Um, but it's a weird thing to get into because I feel like I had a name and a presence in a very, uh, to, God, I, I hate that I keep bringing this up, but a male, a male dominated industry and a male dominated consumer group. And then I start this and I'm like, no one's going to give a shit about this because this is a more feminine industry. And I don't even know how to conduct myself in a feminine oriented industry. Like fragrance usually leans that way. So um, note to everybody, they're all unisex. None of them are really like one way or the other, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a weird space that I, I know nothing about. The whole industry is weird. You see perfume commercials and you're like, what the hell was that? Like, that's like an acid trip, like dream happening here. Like what, this, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it, it's just, it's very, it's hard and, but I love it. And so I just keep doing it and it seems mm -hmm. to be working. So here we are. I mean, it, you, you've, you've obviously tapped into something and, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I feel like, you know, whenever I was, and, and maybe it's just an age thing, whenever I was, you know, like 15, 16, 17. So you think mid nineties into the early two thousands, it felt like cologne and perfume were like in their heyday. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and it feels like it's not as much of a conversation anymore but i think it's on the edge of it because people are more interested in 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 subtle aromas and you know uh, understanding where their things come from and not you know mass marketed whatever else so i think it's probably i would guess it's a market segment that probably will grow pretty significantly for you um and it, and it doesn't hurt that you can uh, blend up something's going to smell fantastic i know a couple people who have uh, purchased items and they feel very very good about it um oh, and thank these you. aren't people that i wouldn't necessarily think were um purveyors of fine fragrances um, so they're they're absolutely uh, on board with it um and i know we're getting close on time i got a couple more it's questions a, i do want it's to okay ask. we can keep going like, it's, we're good let's just keep okay. going until we're done all right. Yeah, I, I, I try to be aware of your time because mine. Is- I no, I appreciate that for sure. I just have to pick up a kid from camp at. I don't know. I got at least fifteen minutes for you though. So like, what what kind of camp are you doing? Um, he's just at regular summer camp. He goes okay. like same schedule as school, so we can, you know, yeah. not sit on the couch or in front of a screen all day. I understand. I've got a kid that's leaving for um, overnight camp on Monday, um, and this is her last year of doing this particular one. Um, oh, so she's sure. been through this before. Yeah, this is a so the state of Kentucky does a series of like wilderness outdoor type camps, mm. part of the fish and wildlife. Um, they've got oh. three or four in the state. Um, they run through. I think you start in fourth grade, and the last year you can go is the summer after sixth grade. Okay. So it's this window. Um, anyways, in in our portion of the state, it's called Camp Curry, um, but they all have the regional names. There's one in Central Kentucky and one. Um, Cause I'm far Western. I'm far, far Western Kentucky okay. anyways. So they do, she's there. My kids. And, I, and I've, I've asked you, I think I've got a question that kind of ties into this in a little bit. They're not necessarily like outdoors. Let's go hunting and fishing and do everything else. But they're a little bit country kid feral uh, where they're <laughs> very likely to be building some type of a fort outside, not wearing shoes, um, whatever. And so they're, they're leave. She's leaves for camp. And my younger child is very upset because she's not old enough to go yet. Um, so she'll, but she'll get to go next year because they're, they're only three years apart. Um, so they just won't be there at the same time, but in that vein, so, so you know, we have these two kids, my wife and I sat down about a year ago and we realized we only have like these, like six summers left before we start having to plan around like college life or whatever yeah. else, um, for vacations. Right. And we want our kids to experience things because, uh, West Kentucky is not the most diverse of places and, um, seeing and experiencing new things is key to being, uh, uh, at least a valuable member of society, in my opinion. Yeah. Next summer, our intent is to spend some time in Colorado. Yes. So for kids that aren't necessarily outdoors people, but they are a little bit country feral, what is a thing? So we're, you know, we're targeting the the, the Denver, Colorado Springs, Estes Park area. That's yes. what we're trying to target. What What is a thing? Like, what is a thing we should do? Because you love Colorado, I think. I do. I do. I absolutely do. I'm actually leaving to be up there for a week in a couple of days. So this is perfect timing. But um, my child is the same way where he does enjoy being outside. But trust me, there have been plenty of times where I'm like, we're going to go on a hike. And he's like, I don't want to do that. I'm tired. And like, I had a thing with him when he turned four. This was like, this was a hard day. But I was like, you're four years old. And we've been going, you know, you go on your like easy little like one mile, half mile like loops, and you Mm -hmm. go and do all the like crap. Um, But I told him I was like, you're gonna do four miles on your fourth birthday. And on your fifth birthday, you're gonna do a five mile hike and on your sixth birthday, then on and so forth. And when you turn 12, I'm gonna take you backpacking because I'm not taking a child by myself backpacking like it's just not intelligent, you know, like for many reasons. Um, so he did, he did four miles, but he was not on the ground for all four of them. I had to carry him <laughs> for three miles on my back and a four-year-old is not that small no. of an entity. Um, so we've been working on that year by year, but I, I think when it comes to that outside fresh air time for kids, even if your kid doesn't like to be outside, your kid is still a human being, right? And this mm-hmm. goes out to everybody hearing this, all seven or eight people, as you joke about, um, they need sunshine. They need fresh air. They are, we are humans. We are animals. Like we need that for balance. And there are so many different options out there, but don't force, just pay attention to what they like. So like Bennett, my son, for example, he loves snow. So I take him up to Colorado. We literally will go in the winter time, get an Airbnb and he can just play in the snow in the yard all day. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Great. 
He doesn't need to learn how to ski. He doesn't need to do any of that shit. Like he just needs to be outside and having a good time. So if you're going to go to Colorado, I did take him last year down to the Colorado Springs area. So that's like Southwest from where Denver is. Mm -hmm. Um, the Cheyenne mountain zoo where you can feed the giraffes and like all the animals are kind of bouncing around around you. And some of them are kind of like loose. Uh, that's an amazing experience there. If you're really feeling up for it, the incline there is literally like a staircase into like the sky. It's a mm -hmm. hard little thing, but you know, fun to challenge yourself. Yep. Um, there are quite a few peaks that you can drive to like Pikes peak is a great example of this. Uh, there's another one that's escaping me, but it's somewhere right there off of 70 before you get to Idaho Springs as well. Um, just being out there and in it, you can take, you can go, um, sledding, you can do dog sledding in the wintertime, which is fun for them. Snowshoeing is an awesome thing for kids as well. Um, and tubing and just like, you know, regular sledding and what have you, these are all options. Um, but when you start Getting into the Estes Park area, you know, you're closer to the Rocky Mountain National uh, Park, which is great to go to. Take them there. The wildlife viewing is amazing. Um, and there's all these, like, kitschy little mountain towns up there, right? Like, there's a saltwater taffy store on every damn corner everywhere. And you can do all the yep. hokey shit, you know? Like you, I don't know. I think it's so fun. But there is not, there's nothing but things to do out there. And... Um, I'm so excited for you to take them out there. But, you know, closer to home, like, I am a huge advocate of the Ozarks, of Missouri and Arkansas, the riverways to go on float trips, just to hang out in the in the river and just chill in the water and go camping. Because mm. um, that's where I'm from. That's where I grew up. So that, like, mm -hmm. triggers back to, like, nostalgia for me of, like, oh, we used to just literally go play in a creek. Like that is what we did. We didn't go to Disneyland for vacation. We drove down to Southern Missouri and we caught crawdads in a creek and it was a blast. Yeah. And things like yeah, that, we, you know, but we, uh, I live in far, far Western Kentucky. Like, you know, the part that most of people in Kentucky don't know exists right? beyond <laughs> Owensboro and Bowling Green. It was like another two hours of state beyond that, but you know, yeah, but you know what you're not that. too far from uh, i'm sure you've maybe you've already gone out there is the garden of the gods area in uh, illinois yeah. our, we, we've been a couple times yeah oh. it's, it's like a 40 35 minute drive from our house it's not too bad whoa yeah. really yeah, yeah oh my god i would be out there like, all you know the, the boot of kentucky the little boot we're the bottom right yeah. hand part of the boot that's that's the county we're in so that's awesome yeah, it's just straight up driving and they love that and you know, we're, I, th I think maybe 2024 may be the year of kitsch for us because I think for spring break, we're planning on going to Gatlinburg, which we've, you know, been a number of times, but like do the, you know, the hokey dinner shows and go to the kitschy shops and buy all the things, you know, because yeah. kids need those experiences too, right? But this is a part of my formative years as, as well, you know, like understanding those things. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I took Bennett out to the Smoky Mountains a couple of years back. We didn't go into the Gatlinburg side. We stayed on the Townsend mm -hmm. side. Yep. But just the amount of hikes to waterfalls and everything else. And like, you just, it's just beautiful out there. Yep. And it's so close. Like I it's outdoors it, and it's, it's like a five and a half hour drive for us. And going to the Ozarks, going into the, to the Branson area is mm -hmm. about a five and a half hour drive for us as well. It's, it's about the same. We're almost dead smack in the middle. Yeah. So I've, I've done both of those trips as a kid. Those make it on the list for our short term trips. We try to save summers for the ones that are like, Oh, it's going to take us 12 hours, 15 hours or a plane flight to get somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I've got, so I've got one last question that I specifically okay. have lined out here and you've got a kid to pick up. So um, in a lot of your social media posts, you'll have different quotes from very interesting places. And I assume, and I may be wrongly assuming that you're a person who has a deep attachment to books or movies or, or music of some type. Right. So what is a, of those three things, book, movie, song, what is something that we should all be listening to or reading or watching? Oh, shit. That's hard because everybody connects with different stuff accordingly, right? Like, I, I pass along things that I kind of come across mm -hmm. in the world of my screen in front of my face at all times. Um, but I am a person. I've got a lot of different places that of inspiration. And I don't know that they're necessarily a fit for most people. Some of it's kind of <laughs> weird and unorthodox. Okay, so so where's a place that you've been? How about that? That, that may be more appropriate. Not where we should be, but where you've been recently whether it be music, song, book, if you feel like sharing. I, okay. This is not a family podcast or is it? No. Okay. So I 
it, for any ladies, uh, I don't know how many of the seven or eight people are ladies out there, but I'm going to share with you a book that is going to change your entire life. This has been one of the most impactful books that I've come across. And I do not, I buy books and then they sit there. I get like five mm -hmm. pages in and I fall asleep and I never touch it again. So I'm an audible person, like an audiobook mm -hmm. all day long kind of person, especially when you're on the road all the time. Yep. Um, the book is called Pussy. And it is all about reconnecting with your feminine self and the empowerment that comes from that from a center of sexual energy. And I know that this can be kind of like a weird subject for people. It makes some people like kind of cringe, but there's a lot to be said about the disconnect that women have with their actual natural um, tendencies and preferences. And like, mm -hmm. I, I think we're all kind of forced to operate in a world that's very left brain logical as opposed to feeling into like how does my body react to that what does my heart say about that we think of that as being like flighty or emotional charged you need both you have to yeah. have both um and so pussy it's by regina i don't remember her last name but i can look it up um it's been a really great one that's i i can't believe i just said that on a podcast but i did and here we you need are. me to cut it i can but uh, I, I, you're fine there's, there's um, no uh, the another one that's really amazing an author her name is martha beck and she does a lot of talks about just like the path that's right for you and following intuition and following like i said mm -hmm. body reactions as opposed to like trying to constantly like pro con list everything to death and just trusting that like gut feeling that you have about stuff so um she does a book called finding your own north star her story is insane like she's incredible um but Martha Beck, like very inspirational woman, very clear, easy to digest information that puts a lot of things into great perspective and gives a lot of very like tangible, useful offerings on how to apply it to your own life. So uh, that's that's part of it, too. I get into all kinds of weird shit. I mean, we, this is a whole other episode of like Jackie's weird, witchy bullshit that she leads her life by but whatever any any time you want to talk about it i'm it, the, the door is always open <laughs> those are the those are the more interesting conversations i had a um I've, I've had a few people where we've had some pretty significant um spiritual based conversations and okay. i mean it's a it's a part of who everybody is well it's a part of who some people are some people aren't and that's fine too you know they, yeah. they don't, you don't have to be spiritual but um i, I like I like multi recommendations, and we'll I'll, I'll pass it along, and may even read them myself. We'll see what happens. I'm I'm in the same place. There's there's three books that are stacked up on this table right here, and I've read about ten pages of each one of them. And I about about a month and a half ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going to refocus on you know I'm going to try to read ten pages a day, and I'm going to journal every day. And I'm going to do these things for my own mental health, and that worked really well for about five days. And then kids and work and life and all yeah. those things happen, you know. And, Try to give myself the grace of like it's okay it's okay you don't have to it is be because so. somewhere along the line somebody said journaling is a good thing and you need to do this and you need to do mm -hmm. that and here's the whole list of like how you can be a good person in the world and like actually show that you give a shit like throw that out the window like entirely when you get to a place where you trust even if things don't make sense in your mind but you trust how your body is reacting to it this is a great point like this is a great way to end on this too is that I noticed the stress overload of my last job having physical manifestations and whether it was my health was failing or I was having certain things, what you just aren't existing as your best form. And it's okay to recognize that and go, guess what? Instead of being on this medication and this one to counter out that, and then take another one to counter out that med and then take another one to counter out that med and blah, blah, blah. What if I just get rid of the thing that's causing all of this and yeah. it doesn't make sense. I should stay here. The should will can take you down. The should monster will take you all the way down. Mm -hmm. um, but if you go, huh, that didn't feel really right. I don't really like being around that person. I feel kind of weird around that person. Or, hmm, that decision doesn't really sit well with me. Okay, screw it. Get rid of it and trust it. And guess what? As soon as you do that, you've created space for things that are right for you to open up and be there in your life. And there's no way of knowing what they are. There's no guidebook. It's not one size fits all. The only real answers you have are your body's reaction to things, not your mind, because your mind's going to lie to you and it's full of all those shoulds and shouldn'ts and 
at this age, you should have already been this and you should own a house and you should have this much money saved and you should do this and you shouldn't do that. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Um, the beauty of being in this life is that you get to do what you want with it and you should really take advantage of that and enjoy it because you can. You can. I say that as like a privileged, like, white girl in America or whatever, but like, I'm not going to shame myself for that too much. I say it as right. a person who's been through a lot of shit and learned some things are okay to let go of and it actually works out for you. Yeah. I, I love that. So that, that, that is, that is a fantastic place to end. I appreciate you for sharing your time with me. Uh, I was serious. If, if you ever want to hop on and chat again, yeah, it, it's always available as long as I can squeeze it in my schedule. You can squeeze it in yours, but I know, uh, your time is precious. You've got a, a child that, that needs to, to be picked up. And so thank you so much for hopping on. Thank you so much for having me. We will chat again. We will find a time and um, it's going to get weird and it's going to be great. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in for this offering from the Embellished Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod. And give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here and there. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com. Follow with my links, accounts, contact details, and more. Thanks for stopping by today. 